where, where, where my drop at? But make sure y'all check this out. Same Unique time gifts. next week, Saturday, 1 to 10, Legendary Radio. Peace. Listen up, folks. You don't want to mess with the IRS. They have the power to garnish your paycheck, levy your bank accounts, and even take your home or business. That's all true. But it's also true that they're offering a new way out. It's called the Fresh Start Initiative, an important government program for tax debt forgiveness. It's one of the biggest breaks the IRS has ever offered. So now's the time. You could qualify for a tax settlement that is 75% lower than before these changes, saving you thousands. Nobody knows this program better than the experts at Optima Tax Relief. Their attorneys and agents will fight to get you the best possible tax settlement, and they have an A rating with the Better Business Bureau to prove it. Don't wait till it's too late. Call Optima Tax Relief for your free consultation today. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. Optima Tax Relief. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's kind of like an elephant is on my chest. I feel like I'm choking. Sometimes my parents have to take me to the hospital. You know how to react to their asthma attacks. Here's how to prevent them. Visit www.noattacks.org or call your doctor. Because even one attack is one too many. I feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA and the Ad Council. WOLB Baltimore, a Radio 1 station where information is power. The views and opinions of the guest and host you hear on 1010 WOLB are not necessarily those of the staff and management of Radio 1, its sponsors, or advertisers. Ah, mon Afrique. Réveille-toi. Il est midi. Tu dors encore. Réveille-toi, n'écoute pas Babylone, il t'est fourni des armes pour tuer ton peuple, n'écoute pas Afrique, Afrique Oyamba, toi cheveux crepus, bat-toi maïele bosimba ni babigé. Oya bilanga mozimba ni ba Congo, simba ni maboko mumuna le kateo Afrika, malobate, mosalande. Mwindo yangolo, Afrika e, mobali ya mingao, Afrika, hatona mosolo, Afrika. Tu gatono parsi parla, konsite. Le pouvoir est ta raison, la tricherie ta seule arme, tu cries la démocratie, pour ton profit personnel, toi, Vriga. 
welcome to Congo Live, the authentic voice of the Congolese people. We always enjoy having you guys on the radio with us every Saturday. And today we have a great show. This is your host, of course, as always, Patricia Lokwa. And we have Kambale who's joining me, Musavuli. How are you, Kambale? I'm great. I'm great. Um, over here in New York today, um, had a great time with uh, wonderful people at the Stony Point Center. Um, just right outside of New York City or yesterday and today, they're doing amazing work, uh, specifically work around uh, bringing awareness on uh, what drones are doing around the world, especially military uh, drones, and uh, trying to bring awareness to the people that we need peace, we need stability rather than bombing communities. So I was really pleased to connect with them this weekend. How was your weekend? My weekend was good. Uh, I've actually noticed that uh, you always talk in third person. People don't really know what you do. Um, sometimes, you know, I have the honor and the privilege of always working with you. I learn a lot through you. But a lot of our listeners don't know that you actually do a lot of speaking engagements and you go to different universities and you travel across the country and you've been doing it for, what, I, 10 years? Eight years? I have not kept count. It's mainly a, for me, it's a passion. You know, people do not know. So I see it simply as a sharing or passing on the word and hoping that people will continue to pass on the word for people to know more about the Congo. And that's why we do Congo Live as well. Absolutely. For many people to know about what's happening in the Congo. So you didn't start on Congo Live. You, your Congo Live started 10 years ago and you're just <laughs> sharing the knowledge now, huh? Well, we, we want to welcome all our listeners. We have a great guest who's going to be joining us by the name of Ni Akwete. He'll be joining us a little later during the show, and we'll be finding out a little bit more about his bio. And we want our listeners to participate in this conversation, as always, to call 410-481-1010. And we always enjoy having our uh, listeners ask questions, and it's always open to whichever question you may have. But before we get into the show, Kambale, can you please share with us what's going on in the Congo right now? Oh, yes. And also in the news in the United States or around the world, everyone wants to know who is infamous to be in the Panama Papers. Congo is in there. So uh, this week we found out that the twin sister of the president of the Congo, President Joseph Kabila, uh, her name is Jeanette Kabila. She was cited among the many um, individuals around the world in the infamous Panama Papers that really, uh, that revealed a bevy of notable people throughout the world who set off offshore accounts in Panama, mainly to avoid fiscal responsibility in their home countries. Uh, in addition to Jeanette Kabila, we had the Israeli business mogul uh, and a very close friend of Joseph Kabila. His name is Dan Gottler. He was at also identifying the Panama Papers. Uh, the Kabila regime responded yet again to the UN Resolution 2277, which we spoke about last time we had the show. Um, this resolution called on the Kabila regime to hold elections within the dictates of Congo's own constitution. Uh, the Foreign Minister Raymond Chibangu, uh, Chibanda actually, uh, characterized the resolution as irresponsible on the part of the UN. Uh, the African Union officially designated um, Mr. Idem Kojo of Togo as the facilitator of the Congolese National Dialogue. Uh, this dialogue has yet to take hold as most opposition in the Congo is opposed to any dialogue with the Kabila regime that does not first secure the holding of 
the presidential elections in the Congo this year. Uh, the former Katanga province uh, witnessed a strong military buildup over the past week, both an increase in regime troops and heavy military equipment such as tanks. And these, uh, this increase has raised quite some concerns with the civil society in that region. Uh, and as they think, uh, as the people on the ground uh, believe that the Kabila regime is preparing for a war against the people. Uh, finally, uh, the reports uh, circulated this week that the Kabila regime had killed youth activist Jean-Marie Kalonji. Uh, we have lifted up his name um, almost every show uh, for our listeners to know about him. In an article published by Radio France Internationale, both the UN in the Congo and human rights group, in addition to Jean-Marie's family, have called on the DRC government to produce Jean-Marie Kalonji, meaning to show if he is alive or not, and actually demonstrate that, in fact, he is alive and not dead, per the reports coming uh, from uh, the Congolese intelligence agency. For our listener who may not know, Jean-Marie Kalonji is the youth coordinator of the organization The Fourth Voice, Quatrième Voix. He was arrested on December 15, 2015, and he's being detained without charge. As I just mentioned, rumors came out stating that he was killed uh, this week. Uh, this young man has organized youth in the Congo to know more about their civic responsibility and engage them in the electoral process in the Congo. Et 
Just listening to Mabele by Sam Mangwana, an amazing Congolese artist who made marks in Congolese music groups such as African All-Stars, TPOK Jazz, African Fiesta National, and Africa International. Many may also not know that he's the son of a Zimbabwean migrant father and an Angolan mother. His musical success and career in the Congo is a symbol of Congolese Pan-African spirit and the hospitality of Congolese people in the world. And who is Ni Akwetu? So let me share a little bit about history of how he's connected to the Congo, which is something that I'm also learning now. In December of 1958, the newly elected president of Ghana, Kwame Nkrumah, organized the first All-African People's Conference in Accra, Ghana. This conference took place in the capital of Ghana, as I just mentioned, in Accra, and brought together political parties and delegates from independence movements and areas still under European colonial rule, and by delegates from independent African countries, including representatives of governing parties of some of those countries. Nkrumah, a Pan-Africanist, believed it was essential for the Congolese to be free and to be controlled by the Congolese people. One of the delegates of the conference was a young, inspirational movement leader, as many may know, Patrice Lumumba, president of the Congolese National Movement, and in French it would be MNC. Lumumba spoke to the conference attendees in December 11th of 1958 and shared very profound remarks, one of which said, despite the boundaries that separate us, despite our ethnic differences, we have the same awareness the same soul plunged day and night in anguish and the same anxious desire. Give me one second. Make that makes African continent a free and happy continent that has rid itself of unrest and fear and any sort of colonialist domination. 
wanted to make sure that I quoted that right because, you know, we don't want to mess up Patrice Lumumba. And Lumumba visited Accra that year and started a relationship with Nkrumah later in 1960. When Lumumba was traveling to the United States, an official visit to the newly democratically elected prime minister of Congo, he happened to stop in Accra before arriving to Washington, D.C. And during this stop, that's when we bring our guest in. Our guest, who was a kid in Ghana, had a chance to see Patrice Lumumba at the airport. Since that time, he has been inspired to keep Congo alive and has done tremendous work to lift up the story of Congo and the Great Lakes region. And that is why I'm very excited to have a new join us who has spent decades monitoring, analyzing, and teaching international relations with special emphasis on African affairs and how global issues and actors, especially in the U.S., impact Africa. But his ultimate goal is really to produce significant positive change in these African uh, impacting policies and processes. Uh, to this end, Ni also worked as a democracy activist and an NGO executive. And in particular, he is an, org- he is an organizer helping to transform the African-born community into a potent force and voice. Uh, currently, he serves as the founding executive uh, director of AIC, which is the African Immigrant Caucus. This is why we are very excited uh, to have him on. Ni Akwete, welcome to Congo Live. Welcome to Congo Live. Are you with us? Hello, Ni, are you with us today? I think the engineer is trying to lock him in. Can you hear us now? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. The engineer was having a little bit of a... We just had to lock you in. But welcome to Congo Live. Um, You have quite an extensive bio and knowledge. And Kambale is just uh, going through this extensive uh, bio. And, you know, we all at my age try to inspire to be even half of what you've already accomplished. Why have you dedicated your life in helping Africa and the African diaspora here in the USA? You know, I... um I often say that on the issues that concern me, U.S. foreign policy, what's going on on the continent, I brag to my friends that it's not possible to ask me a question I cannot answer. But you actually put your finger on the question that I find it very difficult to answer. When people ask me, why are you so devoted to Africa issues, I once told someone, that's like asking me why I love my mother. I, I don't know how to explain it. It's inside me. A friend joked that, hey, listen, if we cut you, uh, your blood will show your blood platelet in the shape of Africa. <laughs> it, it's been, I think, I think it's, um, you know, I mean, all joking aside, I grew up in Ghana when Kwame Nkrumah had returned to Ghana from the United States and Britain and was leading the independence movement. It was a ferment, and maybe that, you know, growing up in that environment mm-hmm. is, is what, you know, gave me the passion of um, working on, on Africa issues. Now, I came to the United States for, for graduate school, and even before I did, and, and by the way, you know, despite the technical difficulties at the beginning, I could actually hear you very clearly, um, the history of how uh, uh, um, Prime Minister Lumumba, mm-hmm. even before he acquired power, came to Accra in 1958. I remember that 
uh, occasion. I didn't see, I mean, you know, I wasn't close to, I didn't get close to him then, but I did get close to him in 1960 at the airport in Accra, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So even as a little kid, uh, Africa issues and how the world deals with Africa and the independence movement, all that has been a huge part of my consciousness. And, and if we have to point to one factor, I'll say just growing up under the inspirational leadership of, of Kwame Nkrumah. And if I, if I might tell you, I have, I'm obsessed with politics. I have mm -hmm. several political leader, uh, leaders as my heroes, as, uh, as people I really look up to. And among the top four are both Kwame Nkrumah and Patrice Lumumba. And it goes to that day in Accra airport when they passed by. If I had stretched out my hand, I could have touched them. We were taken to the airport as uh, uh, school children to welcome the prime minister on his way to Washington, D.C., as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Since then, and when, since um, uh, the United States has been my home, it's been clear to me that U.S. policy in Africa is still not good enough. It's still not what it should be. Moreover, I don't think it's going to change until there is strong pressure from the grassroots on the U.S. government to change its policies. And uh, at this point in my career, I have become convinced that no matter how brilliant any particular individual activist is, mm -hmm. the way Washington works is you may give them the most brilliant analysis, but they are looking for two things. Do you have muscle to put pressure on them? And the muscle comes in two forms. Either you have a, law, a large community that you represent uh, and are activated, or you have a lot of money to push them. So my thinking now is that we need to build coalitions that are fired up in the U.S., and that has to make U.S. policy towards Africa the number one issue. As another one of the things that also, um, you know, emphasized that for me and strengthened this viewpoint I have mm -hmm. is that I actually also worked for 12 years during the Free South Africa movement for Trans Africa, and in fact, because of that, three months after Nelson Mandela came out of jail, he came to Washington. I was one of a few people privileged to be called into his hotel to meet with him, and so. Um, that work in the anti-apartheid movement, which which pushed Ronald Reagan, he did not work, I mean, Reagan supported apartheid, Margaret Thatcher supported apartheid, but the Free South Africa movement here forced the U.S. to impose sanctions on the uh, apartheid regime, which contributed to them uh, uh, releasing Nelson Mandela. So that again showed me the power of activism and, and ordinary citizens, especially in this country, saying to their government, mm -hmm. we don't like the policy you have, it needs to change. I'm sorry this is a long answer. No, no, are, I actually have, a, stops on, I actually yeah, have a question as I'm listening to you. So, you know, one of the things you've mentioned is you being born during a specific era and being exposed to Patrice Lumumba, being exposed to the president of Ghana during the time. Here we are in the USA. We have a lot of Africans, not just Congolese, who are yeah. in all parts of Africa. Sometimes there tends to be a disconnect to between what is actually happening within the country and what they can actually do here on the ground. So which yeah. responsibility do our elders or elders within the community have in teaching the newer generation that this is your role in creating change within your country and what are some things that they can actually do? 
Because when you oh, say grassroots, I, I, most people, you know, like unless you're in um, this type in this line of work, most people don't really understand what is grassroots. You know, what does it take? How do we influence the White House? How do we put pressure? What are some tools that they can use? I think that is a brilliant question, if I might say so. Um, be, and, and one angle I want to take, one, thing, one quick thing that I think sort of um, attitudinal change that I would like us to, to embrace. You know, Kambale, actually, maybe we should call it truth in broadcasting. Kambale and I have been friends for a long time. We've been on TV programs together and all that. So people should know that. And... The reason I'm saying that is that in our discussion, some of the issues that come up is the whole intergenerational issue. Absolutely. And my thinking actually is, of course, if you were to see me now, I mean, I am beyond a certain age. As I would say, I was a kid in 1960. (laughs) I came to this country 40 years ago to go to graduate school. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm of a certain generation. What I would like is, we, we should approach activism as an intergenerational uh, uh, project. Mm. Um, the, it's taken me 40 years to learn a number of things and have certain insights. I don't want that knowledge to die with me. It will be a tragedy. It's not that, uh, you know, my, my life story is, is so wonderful. But the thing is, you acquire knowledge. It is important to leave it behind so that it can be used for the betterment of our people. So I think it requires intergenerational approach. Older people working with young people, exchanging knowledge and viewpoints, because the next generation should not take 40 years to to, to acquire what it took me 40 years to acquire. Mm-hmm. They should just take it like reading a book and uh, take the whatever is there that works and move forward. So that's one part of it. Secondly... To, to go to your question, I think that the obligation of the older generation is to understand the younger generation and create structures and systems that will allow them to pass on whatever knowledge they have, including mistakes made. I mean, I'm fond of telling younger people is, look, if we are working together, I have made mistakes. It's important to know what mistakes I made so that you don't have to repeat them. Our team, whatever our team is, we should make mistakes, each mistake only one. Yes, everybody makes mistakes. Young people will have to make some mistakes and learn from them, but they should be new mistakes. Our community should not keep making the same mistakes over and over and over. So we need to learn and pass on what we have learned, including mistakes we made and what we learned from that. Also, we have to organize and build systems and structures. Now, in a way, what, I'm, what I'm, I just said is sort of self-saving because that's what I'm doing now. As um, Kambali mentioned, um, there's a new group. Um, I actually was not among the founders, but I joined and I was asked to be the, given my experience, I was asked to be the first executive director. The, the group is called the African Immigrants Caucus. Mm-hmm. Its goal is to bring together all the Africans in the national capital area, you know, mm-hmm. Washington, D.C., Maryland, Delaware, West Virginia, and Virginia, uh, so that we have an umbrella group and we speak with one voice on a number of African issues and interests, mm-hmm. and especially put pressure on the powers that be in Washington, Congress, State Department, Pentagon, White House, 
even corporations that do business. I mean, because if you know anything about Congo, you know what people who desire Congo's wealth, what they have done, including corporations. So even they need the pressure, and the World Bank, IMF, even the UN. This is, this is the vision of the African Immigrants Caucus, which is bring together all the uh, Africans here, build a coalition with American friends, and put pressure. Because... Kamali and I have been on programs, and we, we have discussed is that one of the worst features of the United States uh, policy towards Africa is this unbelievable uh, alliance and support and propping up of dictatorships, dictators, warlords, and, and, um, and just undemocratic regimes. It is easy to say that they started doing this in the height of the Cold War, particularly with the Congo. That is true. But sometimes when I step back, apartheid in South Africa mm -hmm. uh, was put in place <clears throat> way before Africa became independent. And the United States, the government strongly supported uh, apartheid South Africa. So U.S. support of undemocratic regimes and dictators in Africa is very long. That is a habit that has to be broken. It is not broken yet. And I think one reason is because... There is no powerful, sustained voice in the United States that tells whoever is in the White House that if you keep supporting African dictators, there will be a price to pay. So my vision is we have to organize, we have to be very muscular, and we have to put pressure on uh, uh, the United States foreign policy makers to improve the foreign policy and foreign relations they, they have with the whole continent. I did tell Kambali that, look, but I think... Um, the Great Lakes region, Congo and its neighbors, they are so central that that's where we must, we must focus on. And my organizing is absolutely and totally a Pan-African approach. I love the uh, quote that you, you read from um, Mr. Lumumba in 1958. To tell you the truth, I hadn't uh, remembered that. But it goes to the heart of how I see what we do because I was just telling a friend from Togo, the border between Ghana and Togo was not drawn by Ghanaians or uh, Togolese. It was drawn by the British and the French and the Germans. And they drew it in all of Africa. They carved Africa into 54 little countries. Why? So that we will be weak 